Our reading this afternoon is Haggai, chapter 1, on page 791. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet to Zerubbabel, son of Shiltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say, The time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your panelled houses, while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house, that I may take pleasure in it, and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and on on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all the labours. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shiltiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shiltiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. On the twenty-fourth day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year, of Darius the king. Uh, Haggai brought this word uh, when God's people returned from exile in Babylon. Uh, If you recall last week, we were uh, reflecting in Hosea uh, about the impending judgment at that time on the northern kingdom of Israel uh, and the warning that it served, therefore, to the southern kingdom of Judah. Uh, Well, uh, Judah too rejected God uh, and for their rebellion they too were conquered and carried off into exile in Babylon in 586 BC. But only for a time of discipline. Uh, From 538 BC through to 445 BC, uh, the Persian kings who had then taken over the Babylonian Empire and the Persian Empire was in place, the Persian kings allowed three waves of Jewish uh, exiles to return back to Judea, uh, to rebuild Jerusalem, to re-establish themselves there, 
And Haggai uh, prophesied early-ish in that sequence, uh, just after the first wave of exiles went back, uh, as verse 1 tells us, in the second year of Darius the king. In the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai. King Darius uh, reigned over the Persian Empire from 522 BC, we know from history, and so this word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai in 521 BC, on the first day of the sixth month, 521 BC, to be precise. (laughs) And that was 17 years after the first wave of, of Jewish exiles had gone back under King Cyrus, the previous king, uh, to start rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, But by the by, the people had been met in Jerusalem and in Judah generally with discouragement uh, in what they were doing, Uh, uh, political opposition to what they were doing by non-Jewish people who were living in the land with them. Uh, and, And all of this brought the temple rebuild project to a grinding halt. And you can read about all that history, if you like, later in in the first six chapters of the book of Ezra. Uh, Anyway, Haggai steps into that scene uh, and he steps in to get the people to resume and prioritise rebuilding the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. God sends Haggai with this word to the leader, uh, Zerubbabel, uh, who had uh, led this first wave back, and, and to Joshua the high priest, ministering to all these people, to get back on task this rebuilding of the temple. So verse 2, Thus says the Lord of hosts, that these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your panelled houses while this house lies in ruins? The book of Ezra, if you do read it, will give you more of the political factors at play and the opposition like that in this stalled temple rebuild. In Haggai here, and from verse 2 there, we get an in on the spiritual factors at play. There wasn't just external opposition to these people working on the temple. There was something internal hindering their progress. They've seen fit to re-establish their own homes in Judea, but, but, but they're neglecting God's work and, and what they were, what were sent back to do in terms of God's work. They're living in panelled houses, uh, as uh, the scripture here puts it. Fine houses, but the temple of God still uh, was lying in ruins. And there's something improper about that if we read what God says here. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your panelled houses? While this house lies in ruins, God seems to be displeased about the focus of their lives. Something about God's words here are are reminiscent, I think, of his conversation with King David about 500 years before all this stuff in Haggai's day. Uh, Through the prophet Nathan, God said, uh, do you recall? Uh, It's in 1 Chronicles 17. Uh, David uh, lived in his house uh, and he said to Nathan the prophet, Behold, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord is under a tent. That's the same concept as Haggai here, but flipped around the other way, if you think about it. David felt wrong living in his comfortable house while the Ark of God was still in a tent. You see, at that time, the temple hadn't even been built yet in Jerusalem. and David desired to do that for the Lord. But incidentally, God said to Nathan the prophet, Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, It is not you who will build me a house to dwell in. 
David's son Solomon, as it turns out, would be the one. He would later build the temple in Jerusalem, not David. As much as David desired to build it for God, God was content at that time to have the Ark of the Covenant in a tent. But there's a different desire, isn't there, here in the people of Haggai's day. David wanted to build him a temple. God told him it wasn't necessary at that time. These people in Haggai's day don't want to rebuild the temple. God tells them that it is necessary at that time. But they were busy pursuing their own comfortable houses, focusing on their own comfortable lives, it seems. Verse 5, Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. That sounds awfully familiar, doesn't it? Really, if you think about it, we, we chase after comfort in life. We chase after provision in life. But sometimes it feels like the more we pursue it, the more it simply eludes. I, I wonder if that's because, like here in Haggai, these returned exiles uh, in ancient Judah, I wonder if it's because we too are actually pursuing those things apart from God. Is it because we are failing to first honour God that we are left unsatisfied. That's actually what God goes on to explain to these people. Verse 7, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house, that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold it came to little and when you brought it home I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew. The earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and on the hills, on the grain, on the new wine, on the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast and on all their labours. Why are they failing to obtain their own provision and comfort that they've been so busily obsessing over and pursuing? Why? Uh, God asks the question, verse 9, and then he tells them why. Because they have neglected him in their obsessive pursuit of those things. And isn't it so true? It seems, therefore, that God's not so much looking from these uh, people for, for a house here as, as if he needs such a thing, but rather he's looking for honour from these people. Because of all that he has done for them and is doing for them and will yet do for them, he has just returned them from exile to bring them back into the land that he long ago gave them. And instead of honouring God, they're pursuing their own personal empires. And so God says he has been disciplining them all over again. He's been withholding all the things that they're chasing after such that they just aren't going to find true contentment apart from him. And that's because they won't find true contentment apart from him. The discipline here is to teach them what they should fundamentally know. There is no contentment without God. 
The Westminster Shorter Catechism opens with this question. What is the chief end of man? And the answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. We weren't created for food or wine, or possessions, or achievements, or or, or fine panelled houses. These things were created for us and given to us as blessings by our loving God. But so easily these things become the master of us. They just become our life's obsession, don't they? But we weren't created for stuff. We were created for God to glorify him and to enjoy him forever in his presence, in a living relationship with him for the rest of eternity. God's charge against this first wave of exiles uh, returning uh, in Haggai 1 uh, might therefore also cut into our hearts today Because this stuff is still true, isn't it? Our culture too still drives us to pursue all kinds of comfort and provision in a way that consumes all of our time and our energy and resources on that pursuit. It leaves us with very little of those things, our time or energy or resources, for our relationship with God, for our worship of God, the pursuit that seeks the good of ourself, hinders our honouring of God. The pursuit, if anything, I reckon is probably more ingrained in our day today, even though some of our fine panelled houses might be even better than King David's was. In the scheme of human history, most of us, friends, live in relative luxury. And that, under God's goodness and favour to us, we should say, And yet we can get hopelessly caught up, can't we, in this pursuit, this endless pursuit of of comfort and provision at the expense of glorifying God. The Apostle Paul spoke of coveting, desiring things in an unhealthy way. He spoke of coveting as idolatry, false worship. And I wonder if Haggai helps us understand why. When our hearts lose interest in God and his purposes and his glory and and we become consumed with that pursuit of what we could strive for, for ourselves, we become the priority and God the afterthought. As if our chief end was was just some kind of little contingency plan in in case this one doesn't work. This difficult call in Haggai actually makes me think of uh, the buzz about hoarding and, and, and more specifically about Marie Kondo, if you know uh, all the buzz about Marie Kondo some time back. Some of you may know her or remember that hype or still follow her. She helps people. She helps people declutter their lives. It's awesome. Uh, it's just great. She helps them sort through all their possessions and get rid of anything that isn't necessary. And the golden criterion for that, according to Marie Kondo, is whether that thing sparks joy. It's a very helpful thing to do, I'm sure. 
But it's also quite a bittersweet philosophy underneath it, if you dig through it a little bit. Because on the one hand, Marie so helpfully shows us that we just don't need so much of the stuff that we've been pursuing. And therefore, nor do we need to chase after it so much in the future. What a great thing to teach us. But the bitter aftertaste, you see, is that the Marie Kondo method still nevertheless teaches that joy is found in things and of course you can go uh, online to the Marie Kondo shop and you can buy some of the things that spark joy for Marie which only draws you back into this hopeless pursuit all over again because deep down underneath that whole philosophy is still the futile pursuit for self the Haggai method is better, I'm sure of it, it's better. And it's not so much about reducing our junk or sorting out our things, but deprioritizing ourselves altogether. This call reassigns as our highest priority in life, our God, that we honour our God with our lives for all that he has done for us and continues to do. And that is a very hard call because it just goes completely against our, our sinfully selfish grain. Instinctively, what do we do? We prioritise ourselves. So much we prioritise ourselves that we, we very easily fall into neglecting God. Get fixated on our own panelled houses, as Haggai puts it, uh, our comfort and our provision in life, and we, just, we put no real investment in God, in honouring our God. And we do it collectively too. Uh, we are inward-focused people and so we settle very naturally into in, inward-focused communities, just like the people of Haggai's day. A people of God without time or energy or resources for God. The bigger house that the Lord is building does not spark our joy like the ones we're working on for ourselves. While we get so consumed with our little things, though, the Lord nevertheless is building his house. Haggai cuts, I reckon, and the first cut is that he calls us to prioritise the Lord, prioritise what our Lord is doing, because that's what we actually need if we're going to find contentment. It's not just that this will be pleasing to God and that he should be glorified, but so too that this is what will ultimately be pleasing and good for us we will enjoy him forever. While you and I tend to get so distracted in this life with our own little pursuits, God is building his house and it is for our eternal good. Let me read again from, from God speaking with David in 1 Chronicles. God says, Moreover, I declare to you that the Lord will build you a house. When your days are fulfilled to walk with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. I will not take my steadfast love from him, as I took it from him who is before you, but I will confirm him in my house and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever. We read the New Testament as Christians and we understand, we realise that scripture is speaking more about Jesus than it was of Solomon. Solomon, David's literal son, who built that first literal temple in Jerusalem. God has granted a kingdom for his son, Jesus. 
that will endure forever. And we will live with him as his people forever. Because God actually is building this house with us as his house. He taught us that in the letter of 1 Peter we looked at a while ago. Do you remember? He says in 1 Peter 2.5, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Shouldn't that gospel truth, more than anything else in this life, shouldn't that spark our joy? And if our joy is there, wouldn't we then prioritise our Lord by glorifying him in everything that we try to do? If God's charge to these people in Haggai's day stings a little for us too, then, then how these people responded, I reckon, should probably sink in like a knife. Uh, verse 12, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. On the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king, these people heeded God's call. They set aside their own pursuits and came together to work on the house of God. But here's the thing. I'm not the best with calendars and dates, but it seems to me this is a complete 180 degrees across the whole land in just three weeks between the start of this chapter in verse 1 and the end in verse 15. Would we turn around and commit ourselves so quickly and so wholeheartedly like that to something beyond our own panelled houses. I don't know about you, but this stuff is really hard for me to read. This is so much easier for me to, to just treat as, as, as Jewish history than it is for me to think about how I go about doing this stuff. But these words in Haggai, I'm sure, are also calling us to live lives that prioritise and glorify God. So I got to thinking about why. <laughs> Perhaps one reason we tend to deprioritise God's work uh, is that we uh, still can't see the coming glory of what he's doing. Let's sneak into Haggai chapter 2. I know we're supposed to just do one chapter to open the door on these prophets. Haggai chapter 2, though, in the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and jo Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Three weeks in, I think it is, and they, they need fresh encouragement in their task because it just seems so futile. So lacklustre. There was nothing here compared to what there used to be. But despite how unlikely it seemed and how discouraging it was, Ezra chapter 6, if you do read it, tells us that they pushed on. They continued in this work. And four years later, they finished the temple. 
And that, and that even then, even though it was humble compared to what Solomon had built in the old days, they nevertheless celebrated with great joy. They had honoured God with what he had put in front of them to do. We shouldn't be distracted or disheartened by, by how hopeless or, or, or by how humble things might seem. You and I are just called to serve with whatever God puts in front of us to do. And by prioritising that, you see, we give glory to God. He takes pleasure in it, uh, the, the verse does say there in verse 8. He takes pleasure in us doing that. I wonder too that maybe, maybe we deprioritise God's work. I think it all happens at a deep subconscious level. We don't think this through. But maybe we deprioritise God's work because he's working on something corporately for all of his people. James touched on that earlier in the, in the commandments that we're looking about. You know, uh, I reckon we, we just don't have the same joy about working on things that aren't going to come directly back to us personally and exclusively. I reckon maybe it's pride. But God is doing something corporate and he has called us into that work, that corporate thing that he's doing. Again, Haggai chapter 2, verse 4. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. The Lord is with us in the plural sense is what's going on here and for a plural outcome. He calls us together as his people and to work together as his people to bring about his plans for his whole kingdom. You read it through long enough, the Bible doesn't actually line up so neatly as we'd like it to with, with, with the, the individualistic brand of Christianity that is just so popular today with its obsessive fixation on, on our own personal faith, dwelling so much as we do on, on our own salvation, absorbed in our own private work, walk with God, given to obsessing more and more over, over when the Lord will call us home as we get older. All good things to do, all things that we must do, don't get me wrong, but not if it's at the expense of getting involved in the work God is still doing through us, together, what he's doing through us right now for others beyond our own panelled houses. By the way, that temple that they're rebuilding uh, wasn't the first temple in Jerusalem and it wasn't the last temple in Jerusalem. It was a rebuild and it would later be rebuilt again. So it was only for a time in God's wider plans. But nevertheless, it was what God put in front of those people to do. And the more I read it, the more I reckon Haggai is a very timely prophet for you and I today to read. And I hope you will read it again later. That's the idea of the series, just a sneak peek here. Go and read it through in the Bible study group uh, in the week and, and on your own. Read it and contemplate. I reckon Haggai could walk in the back of the room here and give us much the same message. But I feel like we shouldn't be waiting for that when we have this word here already. 
So pray as you read through Haggai. Pray your way through it that we might all of us discern an application today for for our situation in this church, in this city. From that call of God in, in verse 5 and verse 7, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Pray through Haggai and consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. Pray through Haggai and ask, what has God put in front of us to do? What might be a today for us equivalent of going and fetching timber, verse 8, and building a temple? Here we are in the kingdom of God under God's grace. And isn't God still working towards his same plan, building this kingdom, this house that will endure forever for his son? that we will eternally benefit from? What work would he call us to do towards that? And what's the equivalent in terms of this church? This congregation is not the end goal of what God is doing any more than the temple in Haggai's day was the end goal of what God was doing. But here he has put us, so lovingly put us in community together. So we've got to ask the question in Haggai. We will be in company together, by the way, trusting in Jesus. We will be glorifying God and enjoying him together forever. So how can we build on all of that here and now? How can we build up one another as a community of God? This here is a house. Ask God for some painful details. How could I deprioritize myself and invest more in others and ask how we can build God's house in terms of those still outside as there are yet others still out there who need his gospel to come into this kingdom and surely every person he draws into his church and, and establishes in the faith even through our humble simple little efforts to share the gospel and, and encourage one another in that gospel each and every one of us will bring glory and honor to god for all eternity is the thing for all eternity ask god for the hard word how could i prioritize and invest more in seeing his house enlarged Haggai's a pretty short read. We've almost done it in one day, but it's a very hard scripture. Very hard scripture for our, our comfortable yet often restless lives to hear. God calls people through this prophet to, to escape from their self-interested pursuits and to give foremost priority to him and to what he is building with us because God knows that, that that's where our true contentment will only be found when we are in him. He said the same thing when he visited upon us, as we saw in, in our series in Matthew a little while back, in Matthew chapter 6. Uh, he said, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Look at the birds of the air. Look at the grass of the field. Your father takes care of them all, he said. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. 
In fact, I reckon Jesus said a lot of stuff that captures the same thrust of this word through Haggai. See how many you can come, uh, come to your mind this week as you read through Haggai. How many different ways you can think of in the four Gospels, say, where, where, where Jesus calls us to deprioritize ourselves and reprioritize God and his kingdom. See, Jesus is still building his house, isn't he? Right here, right now, Jesus is building his house. And he's building it with you and I. And he's building it for our good. This is not just some contingency for when all else gives out. Uh, glorifying God and enjoying him forever is not just our chief end in the chronological sense of that word, brothers and sisters. It's our chief now. Prioritizing God, it's going to call for sacrifice but it is not to our disadvantage or loss. It's what we were created for. It's what we were created for. It fulfills us to give glory to God. But we must be very careful as we think through Haggai. Getting this dynamic right in our lives, this dynamic between where God sits and where we sit in our, in our life's priorities, that, that's not the gospel that saves us. It's not what brings us into God's house. We need to be very careful with that. Uh, but there is something decidedly gospel postured about this. In fact, the gospel that saves us runs the other way around. In Christ crucified, God set aside his priority for us. Though he was in the very form of God, he humbled himself for us. So the gospel according to Haggai is not about that first part of how we come in to God's house. It's about the next part, our response to having been saved. How else should we now live? And so it's a great encouragement, actually, when you read through Haggai to know that when, when you do take a gospel uh, posture in, in response and, and prioritise God and, and glorify God and seek first his kingdom, it's just what he saved us to do. This is what he saved us to do. And we can see that it pleases him. It glorifies him when we do prioritise him. It's no gospel to save us any more than building the temple saved those people in Haggai's day. No, but it is our fitting response to having already been saved. Our only fitting response. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, we always thank you for your beautiful word to us in Scripture. Uh, and we thank you today for Haggai, uh, a prophet that reminds us that our only True contentment is found in you. Uh, you yourself, Father, have given to us all things. You have given us life. You have given us breath. You have given us everything else. And so you yourself should be the focus of our lives now and forever. But, Father, hear us right. This, this is a hard call. This is, this is hard now, just as it must have been then. And so we seek your help with how to respond to this hard word. Please grant us hearts that see beyond our daily needs, our daily pursuit, and, and see beyond the cultural sway around us that keeps wanting to sweep us up into, into the pursuit of this worldly stuff at the expense of our contentment for all eternity in you. 
Please put certain things on, on our certain hearts today, Father, that we might do for you, things we might do for you and for the glory of the kingdom of your precious Son that has been granted for us to enter. And then grow our desire, Father, to do those things. Don't just have us think of them. Have us find the courage to do them. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.